Hello, dear listener. Usually we do something approaching comedy at the start. I say approaching because, you know, neither of us are very good at it. Let's be honest here, Ian. But it's nearly Christmas. Our comedy wells have run dry a little bit and we didn't really want to... I was going to say we didn't want to deliver anything below par. But, you know, there's always a below the below for us, isn't there? So... Instead, I'm going to be sincere for a moment and say thank you very much for listening at all during this year. Uh, it's been a, another strange, odd back and forth year for everybody. Um, if you've been listening for a while, thank you so much. If you've just started listening to us, hello and thank you for listening to us. Uh, have a great festive period. Look after yourselves. Take care. Yeah. See, we'll see you in 2022. But, but obviously first, We've got, we've got one more episode to tell you about. One more time. I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams. And this is Brainwaves episode I've forgotten because I'm in the wrong part of the news document. <laughs> please, keep, start. please keep that in. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's uh, in the extended for sure. Oh no, keep that keep that in the keep that in the standard cut, <laughs> and then Maybe. go. I've got it. This is Brainwaves episode eighty-eight, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week, the thirteenth of December, twenty twenty-one. It's a Kickstarter, a twisted crypto Kickstarter, and TSR. Not that one. No, not that other one. That one. Yeah, finds itself in the headlights of Wizards of the Coast yet again. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, dear listeners, we are back with Kickstarter once more, as we often are on this cast. And this time, Kickstarter has decided to bring themselves together with that most annoying of technologies, the blockchain. Now, we first caught wind of this story in a Bloomberg article posted on the 8th of December, and we're going to do our best now to untangle what is actually being said from the marketing nonsense that Kickstarter has put out. Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform that we all know about that allows creatives to fund their projects. And they've announced they are setting up a new company to build a crowdfunding system based on the blockchain. Now, blockchain technology is effectively a digital ledger of sorts that is unchangeable, claims to be unhackable, and has led to the rise of cryptocurrency and non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, that we have previously covered on the cast. <sighs> Development will begin early next year on this site, and Kickstarter plans to transition its main site to the new technology sometime in 2022. The technology will be based on the Celo platform, a cryptocurrency tech company, and Celo claims that their network is carbon negative, partly through the purchase of carbon offsets. Kickstarter did release a statement about their plans, which we will link to in the show notes. In it, they say... Despite all the impressive numbers, there remains an endless line of talented and creative people waiting for opportunity. Our mission to help bring creative projects to life is a pledge to help unlock this latent potential in people and their ideas. To truly serve that mission, we need to build on what made Kickstarter so innovative in the first place, the power of a large network of people working together towards a common goal. They go on in the statement to very loosely describe what they are doing and that they will produce a paper in the coming weeks with more detail. The announcement has led to a furious backlash amongst the tabletop community, with many publishers and designers saying they will move away from Kickstarter as soon as possible. So, one of the reasons we aren't quoting from Kickstarter's statement more is that it reads like a joke tech briefing from the IT crowd. 
that little snippet we did mention sounds like it is going to be aimed at making things better for creatives using the platform. But at no point during their statement do they actually explain why this move to blockchain is going to be better for creatives. In our opinion, the real reason that this is happening is that Kickstarter has got investors. A lot of those investors will be hearing about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and NFTs as the current tech du jour, and they have therefore asked Kickstarter what they are doing about that technology, hence these changes. I just want to address also the Celo platform that they're going to be building this on says that it is neg carbon negative to carbon offsets. Carbon offsets are generally seen by most people amongst the sort of environmental activist community as just rubbish. They don't actually really do anything. Even if you're planting a tree for every person that pledges to your Kickstarter or whatever that happens, that takes decades to actually pay off. So any network that is claiming to be carbon negative, that's probably just a lie. It's just numbers being manipulated pretty much. And one of the problems with blockchain technology, the reason the backlash has been so virulent from the tabletop community and others is that blockchain creating blockchains takes an awful lot of computer power an awful lot of energy so it's incredibly environmentally damaging we'll bring you more on this as it comes we'll link to all the kickstar bits and pieces in the show notes uh, as best we can and if i can track it down there's been a couple of good explanations about how blockchains actually work out there that i'll try and get to link it to in the show notes so you can have a read of that yourself as well i have a thought that there's a, obviously you said in the piece there was a lot of people or a lot of companies who have said they're going to be moving away from kickstarter when this blockchain thing comes into effect are, what are we are we actually going to see them move away from it or is it going to be we're going to move away from this or for example earlier about a year ago when it was the workers at Kickstarter trying to unionize people going, don't back Kickstarters again. I believe someone in this podcast said that or said words to that effect on his Twitter and then backed a couple of Kickstarters after they'd unionized. <clears throat> uh, listen, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. The tabletop industry has got formal on this, unfortunately. Back in August, Van Ryder Games put out a newsletter announcing an NFT project and then said that they were sort of consulting on that behind the scenes when there was a lot of backlash from the community. But they have kind of gone ahead with that with a different Twitter account called Popcorn Dice NFT. It's, yeah, and it refers to VRG, not never Van Ryder. It yeah, it refers to VRG Games, not Van Ryder Games. So, you know, they're still at that, really. So, yeah, and the other thing that I want to say is, like, there's going to be a lot of small Kickstars out there that are still going to Kickstarter now or were planned to go to Kickstarter and they basically don't have another way of doing things. Be kind to these people. If they can still be anti what Kickstarter is about to do or planning to do in 2022 but still need the platform right now, so do be kind to these small creatives. Bear in mind that companies going, oh, we, why don't you, or people going, why don't you go somewhere else? There's lots of other crowdfunding platforms and you go yes there are but the thing about kickstarter is that it's got it's almost got a monopoly on the board game sphere now game found is what well, is is a thing but it doesn't have the weight of kickstarter yet it seems a lot of the companies going to game found are large projects with severe clout behind them now hopefully in time that might change but until it does you need to support the smaller companies that have almost have no option but to go on Kickstarter. I say you have to. 
it might be nice maybe jimmy tsr no not that one or the other one they're back apparently maybe tsr llc no relation to tsr inc who were the company that originally uh, published dungeons and dragons for many years has decided to go after wizards of the coast who are the current license holders of dungeons and dragons uh, in a legal fashion from TSR's Twitter account, and just to note that when I'm referring to TSR now, I will refer they will be TSR LLC unless I say otherwise. TSR is suing Wizards of the Coast for trademark declaratory judgment of ownership. TSR will also pursue having Wizards of the Coast remove the legacy content disclaimer placed on TSR-based Dungeons and Dragons and other products. This disclaimer, along with other articles, have served to divide the RPG community and they are completely unfounded libel. TSR has also set up an Indiegogo to fund this lawsuit, aiming for a target of £37,389, which I assume is somewhere in the realm of $45,000. The legacy disclaimer mentioned here reads as follows. We recognise that some of the legacy content available on this website does not reflect the values of the Dungeons & Dragons franchise today. Some older content may reflect ethnic, racial and gender prejudice that were commonplace in American society at that time. These depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. This content is presented as it was originally created because to do otherwise would be the same as claiming these prejudices never existed. Dungeons & Dragons teaches us that diversity is a strength and we strive to make our D&D products as welcoming and inclusive as possible. This part of our work will never end. Now, a little bit of a history lesson. Wizards of the Coast bought the original TSR properties and logo back in 1997 on April the 10th. This current TSR is the fourth or fifth iteration of this new company after a lot of debacle earlier in the year, which we covered on several podcasts. Now, it seems they haven't got very far. As of December the 10th, they ended up dropping the lawsuit. However, the Indiegogo is still running and collecting money, but to what end is unclear. It uses the flexible goal function of the project, so your money will still be taken, even if they don't make the target, which seems unlikely considering they're sitting around $1,500 last time we looked. But wait, there's more. An update posted this morning, the 12th of December. I mean, we are really taking things down to the wire for you folks. Uh, It's also because I was unable to record on our normal time. An update posted this morning, the 12th of December, from Geek Native, where we got the story, says that TSR are still planning to refile the suit. Now, Geek Native had been in conversation with TSR about the lawsuit before posting their update, but hadn't heard back by the time the story needed to go out. If you haven't listened to some of the stories that occurred with the most recent TSR iteration, which, again, I will state, has no relation to the original TSR other than earlier it was headed by one of the children of E. Gary Gygax. I would recommend you have a listen to it. Um, I'll link to all those in the show notes. Thank you very much, Ian. And then I'm going to say this uh, again as a little Christmas present for you all. Do not give TSR LLC your money. These people just do not like the Dungeons and Dragons has changed and they keep coming up with more and more intricate ways to get your money. Don't give them your money. There are issues with the legacy disclaimer, among other things. 
oh no, times have changed. Suddenly your cis white male worldview that was prevalent in the mid 70s and early 80s no longer exists. How will you cope? Oh, wait a second, you can change. It's a main part of human nature, of nature itself, changing, adapting to your situation and environment, not whining like a man baby. Talking about giant man babies, we've covered the allegations against the RPG designer Zach Smith, or Zach S as he is more commonly known, a number of times on Brainwaves. This included his attempts to sue Gen Con over banning him from the event, and the lawsuit he brought against his wife Amanda Nagy, also known as Mandy Morbid. Amanda is now countersuing and has set up a GoFundMe to help with legal fees. On this page, she writes... As some of you may know, my soon-to-be ex-husband, separated from, of course, Zach Smith, a.k.a. Zach Sabbath, the artist, porn performer, and RPG designer, sued me in summer 2019 for defamation following a post I made on Facebook in February 2019, which described our 11-year-long abusive relationship. I am now countersuing for sexual assault and defamation. We'll provide a link to the campaign in the show notes, and we'll bring you more updates on that story as it develops. Jamie, a kitten is not just for Christmas. Again, you 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 were very happy. This was initially a headline, and Ian wrote, <laughs> "An exploding kitten is not just for life. No, it's it's for life, not just for Christmas." <laughs> Again, you it's, it's cup of tea and a biscuit headlines. I think you've been trying to write recently, like like the game. yeah. You'd be uh, well, you know. Don't know what game. Risk, risk <laughs> Thanks, maybe. Jamie. Risk maybe. Oh. 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 Ah, uh, Christmas, Christmas, just being being mean. That's what I'm going to be for Christmas, mean. Asmodee, the game company that owns a substantial proportion of the board gaming world, has continued its investment streak by putting money into Exploding Kittens, the company founded by Elan Lee and the creator of webcomic The Oatmeal, Matthew Inman. Asmodee has previously distributed the game in a non-exclusive deal in North America. Now, the original Exploding Kittens game raised... The original Exploding Kittens game raised a, at the time, record-breaking $8,782,571 in 2015, which was nuts. Yeah, especially for a card game at the time. It's been rapidly expanding since then. They recently acquired Happy Salmon, very, very well-renowned and loved party game. We await, we await what Asmodee is going to do with Exploding Kittens with a degree of bated breath. But that's not all from the world of Asmodee. I mean, to be fair, a lot of what we talk about generally will find its way back to Asmodee. But yep. that's just the, the company, not the company. That's the nature of the beast. That, yeah, that's the nature of the beast and the industry that we are in. So Ian, whilst driving home, not for Christmas I assume, uh, I believe you heard something strange on the radio. Yes, I was listening to the Absolute Radio stations. I think I was listening to Absolute Radio Country, and I heard an advert for Asmodee board games. Now, Bush and Richie, Andy Bush and Richie Firth, who have got a hometime show on that channel, Andy Bush have has talked about his love of board games on that show several times, unprompted, and he also has his own podcast about board games. And now it turns out that Asmodee are hooking up with Absolute Radio to run their first national radio campaign. 
It's a six-month campaign that will run until April 2022 and will include the pair of presenters making some of Asmodee's titles a feature of their home time show. Now, now you mentioned that. I was listening to the Taskmaster podcast on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it, there was an advert. And usually I skip it because I find yeah. the, the, the intrusion of adverts annoying, a, necess- yep. a necessary evil. But I didn't skip this one because the comedian Ed Gamble who hosts it, was talking about Ticket to Ride. And it was sponsored by Ticket to Ride and talked about how he really enjoyed Ticket to Ride Europe. Yeah, oh, they must be going for other places. I mean, Taskmaster's an obvious one to hook up with. Similar kind of, you know, puzzles, games, that kind of thing in Taskmaster. So yeah, it's really interesting to hear that. Wow. I, I didn't okay. I didn't even think about it until I looked at the news story uh, that we were covering and I went, oh yeah, I just heard that. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's great to hear board games being pushed on more mainstream networks like this. Like I say, and Andy Bush has talked about his love of board games several times uh, on that show. I'm prompted. He he genuinely seems to be interested in board games and plays board games with his family, and now that has hopefully resulted in this hookup. It's great. And talking about other ga- uh, games hitting the mainstream news, the actor Henry Cavill uh, has gathered himself quite a tabletop gaming following over the last couple of years as he's enthused about his hobby. And that hobby is playing games, workshop games and painting their miniatures. Not he's just that, a, but also... He's also quite a big PC gamer as well. I was say, his build, building his own com- uh, PC, playing yeah. a lot of World of Warcraft, I believe the story is... It's, I think he, it almost, was, he, almost, he almost missed the audition for Superman, didn't he? That was it, yes. Is it the, the audition or the call saying he was playing Superman because he was playing World of Warcraft, which, you know, a lot, lot of respect for the guy for that. Anyway, he was recently on Graham Norton's show, a chat show in the United Kingdom, and was asked about the hobby. Rather than shying away from the question, he told the audience what he loved about it and what the hobby entailed. Unfortunately, the host's reaction was one of derision, but one of the guests, Tom Holland of Spider-Man fame, said he thought it sounded fantastic. Now, I thought it was great that Henry Cavill just took that question and just said what he loved about the hobby and just continued down that that road that he's been on the last couple of years, just saying that he's into the hobby and that it's totally fine to be that. It's great exposure for the hobby and it's great to see someone like him just going, yeah, this is what I do in my spare time. What of it? It's really disappointing to see Graham Norton being kind of derisory, like nerd, like Henry Cavill's a nerd on like an eighties American sitcom. It's just, it's just a really disappointing reaction from Graham Norton. If you haven't seen the video clip, it starts with Graham Norton talking about. It's like, do you play? Is it you paint Warcraft miniatures? And Henry Cavill goes, "Sorry, it's it's actually Warhammer," yeah. uh, which is a nice, you know, sort of thing. Which you know, fair play. Listen. I agree. There's a lot of war, insert something here, in uh, in the hobby. As I think, to slightly echo Ian's point, I'm not I'm not angry. It's kind of yeah. For what of a be- for what of a better phrase in 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 mainstream popular culture, there is there is still this 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 feeling of oh that's that's very nerdy. That's a bit that's too nerdy. You why are you doing that? But and it is it's a slightly sad indictment of although we think that we have come very far in the tabletop industry, and in many ways I think we have I say we like I've done anything. I just talk rubbish for half an hour every two weeks. There is still a long way to go for the cultural perceptions of not just board gamers and role play gamers, but also of of miniature gamers and war gamers. 
And yeah. at times, I think because we spend so much time in the bubble of on board game geek forums or on board game geek or on Facebook groups or on Reddit, that you forget, yeah, people people still don't have that opinion, and you still look down a bit. People look down their nose slightly at you. But I guess the positive thing is it sets a target for for us, the industry, the community, to go, this is what you think. Well, let's try and change that. Let's try and change that. We have Henry Cavill, you know, one of the biggest, I'd say, action stars right now. And he's talking enthusiastically about his hobby. Cool. Let's see if we can do more and change this perception for the better. Anyway, Jamie, some more acquisition news from the industry. Yeah, slightly financial-based. Greater Than Games, publishers of Spirit Island, Sentinels of the Multiverse, and Medium, to name but a few, has just announced it will now be part of the Flat River Group, a Michigan-based distribution company. Christopher Badell, editor-in-chief at Greater Than Games, published a blog post about the acquisition and reassured fans, Greater Than Games is still here, including everyone on the uh, GTG team. We're going to keep making games, but with more support and resources than we had before. He added, It was of utmost importance to us that if this thing were to happen, our products, our customers, and our employees would all be treated with the respect they deserve and continue to be taken care of as well as we have for the last decade. He added, It was of utmost importance to us that if this thing were to happen, our products, our customers, and our employees would all be treated with the respect they deserve and continue to be taken care of as well as we have for the last decade, if not better. He ended with a reassurance. We're working on a ton of major projects, some of which you might have heard of, and some that are brand new. And we're excited to grow together with Flat River Group and with all you out there who have made the last decade of GTG possible. Ian, what's that coming what's that coming over the hill? Is it a, another werewolf film? I don't think that's how the song goes. Werewolves Within came out this year, a film based on the classic psychological experiment turned social deduction game Werewolf, or Mafia, depending on where and with whom you play. But we're not finished with Werewolf as a film property yet. Werewolves of Miller's Hollow, the 2001 version of Werewolf that was nominated for the 2003 Spielis des Jahres, is to be turned with, into a film with the announcement of a partnership between Asmodee Entertainment and Radar Films, a French film and TV company. Slated to write the script is Francois Ouzan, scriptwriter for Family Business and the excellent Lupin. It is very excellent. He said, I've been playing Werewolves of Miller's Hollow for years. Being able to bring it to life for the big screen while mixing it with my own universe is the ultimate game extension. I'm looking forward to embarking on this brand new exciting adventure. Andy Jones, managing director at Asmodee Entertainment, commented, Werewolves of Miller's Hollow is a deeply social game that brings together friends and family with its exciting universe, unique narrative and game concept. We believe that Radar Films is the perfect partner to collaborate with in adapting this thrilling role-playing game for the big screen. It joins the swathe of tabletop gaming-related media coming out. And yeah, I haven't watched the Werewolves Within yet, but yeah, it's interesting to see more board games coming to film and TV. We'll see what comes of that. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it either. Um, I find it interesting that Andy Jones said is it, it's unique narrative and game concept. It's I, I don't think it's unique, Andy. Sorry, it's it's Werewolf and it's Mafia. Now, I like Werewolves of Miller's Hollow as a game. Just it's very compact. The roles are interesting and varied. Uh, and the art, I think, is really lovely. Werewolves of Miller's Hollow is from a French design team, which I think may have 
a major part in the decision for Radar Films and Francois Uzan. But yeah, I mean, you can't you can't play werewolf with you know a piece of paper, pieces of paper, or playing cards. So anyway, Jamie, it's been a long cast. Let's relax once more in RPG Corner. been here in ages oh this is nice neither have i it seems to be slightly on fire though yeah slightly what? on fire why who, who set it on fire did ian do this before he left it's possible maybe it's been smoldering for a while yeah yeah oh let me relax oh let me relax i'll probably right. drink while you're while you're reading out this the next piece to the listeners non-alcoholic please the tabletop convention of dragon meat took place on the weekend of the 3rd of december this year in london Whilst it is mainly RPG-focused, over the last few years it has grown to take in the wider breadth of the tabletop hobby. Now, by all accounts, a lot of people had a lot of fun, but one trader really didn't have a great time. This trader was carrying product in the 2185 RPG line from Dragon Turtle Games, and they were approached by customers identifying themselves as backers of the Terminal Overdrive Kickstarter, a reprint and new sourcebook campaign for the line that has been experiencing delays. The backers harassed the staff at the trader due to them being unhappy with the delays. This led to Robert Nariner Dodds, the founder of the company, posting an update to Kickstarter. One of the traders at the event, who I will not name for their sake, carried a small amount of carbon 2185 stock from our first print run on their stand. The trader was approached by several people who identified themselves as backers of this campaign and went on to verbally abuse and harass the trader and their staff for simply carrying carbon 2185 products, apparently outraged by the delays to terminal overdrive. This issue was brought to my attention after the event, and I immediately raised it with the fantastic Dragon Meat staff. We're now working with them to identify the people involved, and we have a couple of very good leads. We at Dragon Turtle Games, and the good people at Dragon Meat, have a zero-tolerance policy for harassment of anyone, whether they are our staff, freelancers, or in this case, simply traders who carry our stock. As he said, Dragon Meat were only made aware of the harassment after the event and have also strongly condemned the behaviour. Gonna no do that. Indeed, especially right now with worldwide supply problems, trade delays, posting problems, coming up to Christmas. Just be nice to small trade be nice to traders. Traders who don't have anything to do with the actual publication of products. I don't even know why you're harassing them. And just be nice to smaller companies as well, because they they're all experiencing problems right now. So, yeah, okay, you haven't got your books yet. They're coming. Don't it, just uh, just stop it. Stop it, please. Can't stop the signal, Ian. No, you cannot. The Cortex RPG system began life in 1999, and the various iterations were popular in the mid to late 2000s for several big IPs, including Battlestar Galactica, Firefly, Serenity, and the Supernatural TV series. The system, owned by Margaret Weiss Productions, went to Kickstarter in 2017 for the newest version called Cortex Prime. It was redesigned by Cam Banks and is now owned by Fandom. 
However, a recent update regarding licensing has left designers and players a bit confused. In this update, there's a paragraph that says that fandom will own all trademarks and copyrights in and to the Cortex system and game mechanics, systems, mods, and other rules created, whether by fandom or you, that become a part of the Cortex system. Any new Cortex Prime mechanics, mods, and other rules you create or alter become available for other members of the Cortex community to use under the license linked above. Now, this license is meant to allow the community to make their own Cortex Prime products. Furthermore, some sections explicitly deny the use of the license to create content the public would deem, and I quote, offensive or inappropriate for minors. Now, several users of the Cortex Prime system have said that this sort of language has historically been used to police LGBTQ plus content. The Cortex team spent the next couple of days firefighting and saying that a lot of the intention of the changes were to bring the system under a single gateway, much like DM's Guild does for Dungeons and Dragons output. When asked by Dicebreaker about the benefits of legal protections in contributing to attracting large IPs like the recent Dragon Prince RPG and Masters of the Universe, both of which use Cortex Prime, there is no denial from the studio as to the benefits. There has been no word from fandom as to how they might go about enforcing these new rules as well. It seems to me that a better PR management have helped here. It seems that they updated the terms of use without really putting out a statement as to what they were doing and why they were doing it. People came across the changes and were understandably upset about the implication therein. Yeah, they're just not, they've not handled it very well. Whether that will actually impact the use of the system in the long run, who's to say, we'll obviously bring you updates as it comes. Anyway, we'd like to give one last shout out for the year to our lovely patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the cast over the year. It really helps us out. And especially to James Naylor and Sean Newman, our executive producers. We'll link to both of their bits and pieces in the show notes. You can join them on our Patreon for just $1 a month. That really helps us out to fund the cast and host of the website. There's various ways to support us on the site. You can get lovely dice from Metallic Dice Games. We're doing some merchandising through Sir Meeple as well. And there are various other little bits and pieces in there if you'd like to chuck us a buck or two before Christmas. We'd also like to give a wee shout out to Dicebreaker recently who put out an excellent article called The Dark History of Anti-Semitism in Board Games. Thoroughly encourage you to give that a read. It's a really interesting piece. Yeah, Tom Anna does a fantastic look at the use of anti-Semitism based board games as a form of propaganda, you know, from the early 20th century right up until very recently, which is, you know, it, it's a... It's a really horrible indictment of the state of the world. Anyway, Jamie, one last time for those at the back. It's the festive period, and I thought, you know, I've heard that there's a new Monopoly game out. But, of course, there's a Monopoly game out. There's always a new Monopoly game out. But this one is a video game, and I thought I'd treat you. But then I found out that it's published by Ubisoft. And... Ubisoft has sheltered and defended sexual abusers for many, many years, and its CEO, Yves Jumeau, was a willing part of that. And as such, I refuse to cover any Ubisoft products on Brainwaves. This is one of, this, this is one of the reasons that we don't do video games on this show. 
the other being also we're a, we're a board game podcast <laughs> tabletop podcast tabletop podcast fair so instead i invite you to come with me down to the old sleepy frog pull yourself a foaming pint of mead and there may be a strange fellow in the corner who might send you off on a magical adventure that's right it's an rpg cliche as old as time the party meets a stranger in a tavern who sets them off on a mighty quest well very soon you might not have to imagine a tavern like that the griffin and gargoyle project slated to open in 2024 is described as an immersive themed restaurant and amusement center for fantasy fans comprising of three units the curated curiosities which is a shop set up to look like a wizard's emporium the gnome alchemist a bar offering things like uh, dry ice cocktails and axe throwing and the griffin and gargoyle tavern comprising of a fantasy restaurant now the entire center will be staffed by staff members in costume very similar to disney and i i worry the amount of the awful level of harassment they're potentially going to have to put up with especially considering the worst stereotypes of gamers which sad to say they do exist now this is all being built in lake geneva wisconsin and i wonder why i mean i don't wonder why lake geneva was the home of one e gary gygax who apparently did something for gaming i've no idea what never heard of e gary gygax before Definitely haven't mentioned him in the podcast earlier. And it is still like three years away from being finished. But it's uh, it's quite a, quite a bold plan. And there's a couple of pictures of what it'll eventually look like, supposedly. It looks, funnily enough, very fantasy. A kind of combination Lord of the Rings, stereotypical Dungeons and Dragons. What do you think of the photos, Ian? I mean, the photos are very nice, but they're all just, you know, concept, all renders, basically. Yeah. But yeah, no, maybe we can t- take our first brainwaves holiday over there. I thought we took our holiday to Birmingham. Well, yeah, I was thinking slightly further afield when, you know, things get back to more to something resembling normality. London? Don't know. Sounds fancy. Anyway, I'd just like to thank everyone very much for listening. We will be taking a wee break over Christmas and New Year. We're going to be returning to the cast on the 10th of January. That'll be the first cast out in the New Year. Um, We've got a few things planned for the New Year. We've got a little bit of a schedule put together, hoping to do more on stages with people. Uh, So some more interviews. I've got some meeting of minds starting to line up as well. So more written interviews as well. And I'll hopefully be back to a more regular review schedule as well. That's been a little fallow in the last couple of months. Just haven't had a huge amount to write about, but hopefully that will ramp up in the new year. I, I, I may or may not write things. Normally I'll just talk nonsense. Jamie is the quantum contribu- contributor. He both contributes and does not contribute at the same time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us over the course of the year, and we hope you have a great uh, Christmas and a happy new year. All the best, folks. Bye-bye. Have a great festive period, y'all.